0: Chapter number twelve of the Heavenly Twins This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G Chapter twelve. The next few weeks were decked with the richness of autumn tints the glory of autumn skies but Evadne was unaware of either. She had no consciousness of distinct days and nights, and indeed they were pretty well mingled after she went to town, for she often danced till daylight and slept till dusk. And it was all a golden haze this time, with impressions of endless shops, of silks, of satins, and lovely laces, of costly trinkets, of little notes flying between London and Shorncliffe. And of everybody so happy that it was impossible to help sitting down and having a good cry occasionally. The whirl in which she lived during this period was entered upon without thought, her own inclinations agreeing at the time to every usage sanctioned by custom. But in after years, she said that those days of dissipation and excitement appeared to her to be a curious preparation for the solemn duties she was about to enter upon. Evadne felt the time fly. And she felt also that the days were never ending. It was six weeks at first. Then, all at once, as it seemed, there was only one week. And then it was tomorrow. All that last day, there was a terrible racket in the house, and she was hardly left alone a single moment, and was therefore thankful when, finally, late at night, she managed to escape to her own room. Not that she was left long in peace even then, however. For two of her bridesmaids were staying in the house, and they, and her sisters, stormed her chamber in their dressing-gowns, and had a pillow-fight to begin with, and then sat down and cackled for an hour, speculating as to whether they should like to be married or not. They decided that they should, because of the presents, you know, and the position, and the delight of having such a lot of new gowns, and being your own mistress, with your own house and servants, they thought of everything, in fact, but the inevitable husband, the possession of whom certainly constituted no part of the advantages which they expected to secure by marriage. Evadne sat silent and smiled at their chatter with the air of one who has solved the problem and knows. But she was glad to be rid of them, and when they had gone, she got her sacred commonplace book and glanced through it dreamily. Then, rousing herself a little she went to her writing-table and sat down and wrote this is the close of the happiest girlhood that a girl ever had i cannot recall a single thing that i would have had otherwise when she had locked the book away with some other possessions in a box that was to be sent to await her arrival at her new home she took up a photograph of her lover and pressed it to her lips and breast "'and placed it where her eyes might light on it as soon as she awoke. "'She was aroused by a kiss on her lips "'and a warm tear on her cheek the next morning. "'Wake, darling,' her mother said. "'This is your wedding day. "'Oh, mother,' she cried, flinging her arms around her neck, "'how good of you to come yourself. "'I am so happy. "'Mr. Hamilton Wells, Lady Adeline, and the Heavenly Twins "'had been at the Frayling since breakfast, and nothing had happened. Lady Adeline, having seen the children safely and beautifully dressed for the ceremony, Angelica as bridesmaid, Diavolo as page, left them sitting with a picture-book between them, like model twins. Really, she said to Mr. Hamilton Wells, I think the occasion is too interesting for them to have anything else in their heads. But the moment she left them alone, those same heads went up, and set themselves in a listening attitude now diavolo quick said angelica as soon as the sound of her mother's departing footsteps had died away diavolo dashed the picture book to the opposite side of the room sprang up and followed angelica swiftly but stealthily to the very top of the house when the wedding party assembled in the drawing-room the twins were nowhere to be found mr hamilton wells went peering through his eyeglasses into every corner Removed the glass and looked without it, then dusted it and looked once more to make sure, while Lady Adelaide grew rigid with nervous anxiety. The search had to be abandoned, however. But when the party went down to the carriages, it was discovered, to everybody's great relief, that the children had already modestly taken their seats in one of them, with their backs to the horses. Each was carefully covered in an elegant wrap and sitting bolt upright, the picture of primness. The raps were superfluous, and Mr. Hamilton Wells was about to remonstrate, but Lady Adeline exclaimed, "'For heaven's sake, don't interfere! It is such a trifle! If you irritate them, goodness knows what will happen!' But, manlike, like he could not let things be. "'Where have you been, you naughty children?' he demanded, in his precisest way. "'You really have given a great deal of trouble.' "'Well, papa,' Angelica retorted hotly, at the top of her voice through the carriage window, for the edification of the crowd. "'You said we were to be good children, and not to get in anybody's way, and here we have been sitting an hour as good as possible, and quite out of the way, and you aren't satisfied. It is quite unreasonable, isn't it, Diavolo? Papa can't get on, I believe, without finding fault with us.' it's just a bad habit he's got and when we give him no excuse he invents one mr hamilton wells beat a hasty retreat and the party arrived at the church without mishap but when the procession was formed there was a momentary delay they were waiting for the bride's page who had descended with the youngest bridesmaid from the last carriage and the two came into church demurely hand in hand what darlings aren't they pretty what a sweet little boy with his lovely dark curls Was heard from all sides, but there was also an audible titter. Lady Adeline turned pale, Mrs. Frayling's fan dropped, Evadne lost her countenance, the twins had changed clothes. There was nothing to be done then, however, so Angelica obtained the coveted pleasure of acting as page to Evadne, and Diavolo escaped the trouble of having to hold up her train, and managed besides to have fun with a small but amorous boy who was to have been angelica's pair and who knowing nothing of the fraud which had been perpetrated insisted on kissing the fair diavolo to that young gentleman's lasting delight it was a misty morning with only fitful glimpses of sunshine mrs frayling was not a bit superstitious nobody is but she had been watching the omens most people do and she would have been better satisfied had the day been bright but still She felt no shadow of foreboding, until the twins appeared. Then, however, there arose in her heart a horrified exclamation. It is unnatural. It will bring bad luck. There was no fun for the heavenly twins apart, so they decided to sit together at the wedding breakfast, and nobody dared separate them, lest worse should come of it. Diavolo bet he could drink as much champagne as Major Cahoon, and having secured a seat opposite to an uncorked bottle he proceeded conscientiously to do his best to win the wager toward the end of the breakfast however he lost count and then he lost his head and showed signs of falling off his chair you must go to sleep under the table now said angelica it's the proper thing to do when you're drunk i'm going to but i'm not far enough gone yet my legs are queer but my head is steady get under will you i'll be down directly and she cautiously but rapidly dislodged him, and landed him at her feet, everybody's attention being occupied at the moment by the gentleman who was gracefully returning thanks for the ladies. When the speech was over, Lady Adeline remembered the twins with a start, and at once Miss Diavolo. "'Where is he?' she asked anxiously. "'He's just doing something for me, Mama,' Angelica answered. He was acting, at that moment, as her footstool under the table.' She did not join him there as she had promised, however, because when the wine made her begin to feel giddy, she took no more. She said afterwards she saw no fun in feeling nasty, and she thought a person must be a fool to think there was, and Diavolo, who was suffering badly at that moment from headache and nausea, the effect of his potations, agreed. That was on the evening of the eventful day at their own town house, their father and mother having hurried them off there as soon after Diavolo was discovered in a helpless condition as they could conveniently make their escape. The twins had been promptly put to bed in their respective rooms and told to stay there. But, of course, it did not in the least follow that they would obey, and locking them up had not been found to be the answer. Angelica did remain quiet, however, an hour or so resting after all the excitement of the morning, but she got up eventually, put on her dressing-gown, and went to Diavolo, and it was then they discussed the drink question. Discussion, however, was never enough for the twins. They always wanted to do something. And so now they went down to the library together, erected an altar of valuable books, and arranged themselves in white sheets which they tore from the parental couch for the purpose considerably disarranging the same, and the sheets they covered with crimson curtains taken down at imminent risk of injuring themselves from one of the dining-room windows with the help of a ladder, abstracted from the area by the way of the front door, although they were in their dressing-gowns, the time chosen for this revel being when their parents were in the drawing-room after dinner, and all the servants were having their supper and safe out of the way. The ladder was used to go down to the coal-cellar and never, of course, replaced the consequence being that the next person who went for coal fell in the dark and broke her leg, an accident which cost Mr. Hamilton Wells from first to last a considerable sum, he being a generous man and unwilling to let anyone suffer in pocket in his service. He thought the risk to life and limb were sufficient without that. Having completed these solemn preparations, the twins swore a ghastly oath on the altar, never to touch drink again and might they be found out in everything they did on earth if they broke it, and never see heaven when they died. The wedding-breakfast went off merrily enough, and when the bride and bridesmaid left the table, and the dining-room door was safely shut, there was much girlish laughter in the hall, and an undignified scamper up the stairs. Also a tussle as to who should take the first pin from the bride's veil and be married next and much amusement when mrs frayling's elderly maid unconsciously appropriated it herself in the way of business evadne hugged her exclaiming you dear old jenny you shall be married next and i shall be your bridesmaid oh no you won't cried one of the girls you'll never be bridesmaid again suddenly there was silence never again is chilling in its effect it is such a very long time As Evadne was leaving her room in her travelling dress, she noticed some letters lying on her dressing-table, which she had forgotten, and turned back to get them. They had come by the morning's post, but she had not opened any of them, and now she began to put them in her pocket, one by one, to read at her leisure, glancing at the superscriptions as she did so. One was from Aunt Olive. Dear Aunt Olive, how kind of her! Two were letters of congratulation from friends of the family a fourth was from the old housekeeper at fraylingay she kissed that and the fifth was in a strange and peculiar hand which she did not recognize and she opened it at first to see who her correspondent might be the letter was from the north and had been addressed to fraylingay and she should have received it some days before as she drew it from its envelope she glanced at the signature and at the last few words which were uppermost and seemed surprised she knew the writer by name and reputation very well although they had never met and feeling sure that the communication must be something of importance she unfolded the letter and read it at once deliberately from beginning to end when she appeared amongst the guests again she was pale her lips set and she held her head high her mother said the dear child was quite overwrought but she saw only what she expected to see through her own tear-bedimmed eyes, and other people were differently impressed. They thought Evadne was cold and preoccupied when it came to the parting, and did not seem to feel leaving her friends at all. She went out, dry-eyed after kissing her mother, took her seat in the carriage, bowed polite but unsmiling acknowledgments to her friends. "'and drove off with Major Cahoon with as little show of emotion and much the same air "'as if she had merely been going somewhere on business and expected to return directly. "'Thank goodness all that's over,' Major Cahoon exclaimed. "'She looked at him coolly and critically. "'He was sitting with his hat in his hand. "'She noticed that his hair was thin on the forehead, "'and there was nothing of youth in his eyes. "'I expect you are tired,' he further observed. No. "'I am not tired. Thank you,' Evadne answered. Then she set her lips once more, leant back, and looked out of the carriage window at the street all sloppy with mud, and the poor people seeming so miserable in the rain which had been falling steadily for the last hour. Poor weary creatures, she thought. We have so much, and they so little. But she did not speak again till the carriage pulled up at the station, when she leaned forward with anxious eyes and said something confusedly about the crowd. Major Coon thought she was afraid of being stared at. He took out his watch. You will only have to cross the platform to the carriage, and the train ought to be up by this time. But if you don't mind being left alone a moment, I'll just go myself and see if it is, and where they're going to put us, and then I can take you there straight. You won't feel the crowd at all. He was not gone many minutes, but when he returned, the carriage was empty where is mrs colquhoun he said she followed you sir the coachman answered touching his hat confound he pulled himself up she'll be back in a moment i suppose he muttered dover express take your seats a porter are you for the dover express yes said major colquhoun engaged carriage sir yes oh uh, by the way perhaps she's gone to the carriage and he started to see the porter following him. Did you notice a young lady in a grey dress pass this way? He asked the man as they went. With a pink feather in her hat, sir? Yes. Not pass up this way, sir, the man rejoined She got in the answer over there and drove off. It was the same young lady. Major Cahoon stopped short. The compartment reserved for them was empty also. Dover Express! Dover Express! The guard shouted as he came along, banging the carriage doors too. "'For Dover, sir?' he said in his ordinary voice to Major Cahoon. "'No, it seems not,' the gentleman answered deliberately. The guard went on. "'Dover Express! Dover Express! All right, Bill!' This was to someone in the front as he popped into his own van and shut the door. And then the whistle shrieked derisively. The crank turned, and the next moment the train slid out, serpent-like into the mist. Major Cahoon had watched it off like any other ordinary spectator and when it had gone, he looked at the porter, and the porter looked at him. "'Was your luggage on the train, sir?' the man asked him. "'Yes, but only booked to Dover,' Major Cahoon answered carelessly, taking out a cigarette case and choosing a cigarette with exaggerated precision. When he had lighted it, he tipped the porter, and strolled back to the entrance, on the chance of finding the carriage still there. But it had gone, and he called a hansom. paused a moment with his foot on the step, and finally directed the man to drive to Frayling's. "'Swell's been sold somehow,' commented the porter, "'and if I was a swell I wouldn't take on neither.'" End of chapter 12